Coach's Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit fearlessandcapable.com. Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the podcast today, I have Sam Etherington. Sam, where are you at and what are you up to? I am in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the flagship LSU, uh, biggest school in the, in the state. Uh, what am I up to? Currently sitting in my apartment. Uh, <laughs> and I already forewarned you that I'm in a really u- unique location with a train track next to it. So you might have you might have to do some editing and chopping if one of those things decide to come past. Uh, but yeah, I am I'm here and I'm the director of operations at LSU and absolutely love it. What does what does director of operations entail? What are the responsibilities? Oh, that is a big question. Uh, when people typically ask me that, I tip- my first response is everything except coaching and recruiting, pretty much, uh, because my career path, which I'm sure we will get to, is is being along the coaching route so when you take this kind of step to move into directive operations people are like oh what is that so yeah the short answer is everything except coaching and recruiting uh, the cool part is you still get to have your, your fingers in the re- recruiting realm when visits come on campus and all that stuff and you can still be out to practice you can still watch and you can still learn uh so i kind of joked before but clearly you're not a Baton Rouge like, like from the get go. So where where did you grow up um, as a youth? Yeah, I am from Newcastle, uh, Pontine, England. We've also had Sarah Loudon on this podcast, mm-hmm. so we actually grew up uh, together from about the age of fifteen, sixteen. Huh. Um, we, we went to what we call college in England. So before you go to university, we went there together. And Sarah's actually part of the reason that I ended up over here. Uh, when we got to know each other and I, I realized that, you know, that that goal in Bend at Lake Beckham where she wants to go to America was not just a, a far away dream. And there was someone I knew who was actually pursuing it. I kind of hopped on board and learned a little bit more about it and ended up over here the same time as, as Sarah. Uh, but yeah, I'm from Newcastle, born and raised uh, before I left England. I'd never really left Newcastle. I was a bit of a homebody. Uh, like the comforts and getting my laundry done and all that type of stuff Uh, and then ended up at Nichols State University which is actually 45 minutes from Baton Rouge it's in Thibodeau Louisiana Hmm. went out there uh, played there for four years uh, was a student assistant there uh, and you say doesn't sound like Louisiana but the funny thing is is out of the 14 years I've been over here 11 of them have been in Louisiana uh, I just keep getting, I keep getting drawn back into it. After playing at Nickel State, I, I went to the University of Dubuque uh, to be a grad assistant. And then after that, came back to Louisiana to be a, a head coach at the Division Three level, spent five years there. Um, and then during COVID, actually went up to Idaho State to be the assistant coach. And, you know, a short year into that, LSU came calling, so came back down to Louisiana. So... Yeah, the accent is not from here, but all <laughs> all my friends back home think I've got a little bit of a twang. Uh, I definitely think my, my accent and voice has become a lot slower because uh, when I first got over here, not one person had a clue how to understand someone from Newcastle, England. 
So are you like Sarah and a, like a hardcore Newcastle fan as well? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the questions people sometimes ask is Newcastle or Sunderland. I'm like, don't ever ask people who are from Newcastle, Newcastle or Sunderland. It's not even an option. So yeah, uh, I actually lived about, when I was growing up, I lived about 10, 10, 15 minutes from the Newcastle United training ground. Uh, well, I still do actually, because I still train at the same place. Uh, but when I was a kid, my summers involved, as soon as preseason hit for Newcastle around July, you'd walk up and down there every day. You'd wait for the players going into practice in the morning, try to get as many autographs as you could. And then you'd peer through the fence, watch the training. And then when they come back out, you do the exact same thing. So I have like autograph books still of like Alan Shearer, Bobby Robson, Kieran Dyer, Solano. Like I've, I've got them all with us because I was scared my mom would throw them out when she was clearing out. So I've kept them in the box and, and still got all those. Talking about your, your mom and your parents, what was their reaction when you said, hey, I think I'm going to head to the States and pursue playing soccer there? Yeah, I don't really, I don't remember like a vivid moment of the, of me like stopping them and being like, hey, this is what I'm interested in doing. Uh, my parents were always big proponents of education and work hard and don't just be someone who wants to sit around the house and not know what they want to do with their life, even though one of my favorite things to do right now is sit around. <laughs> uh, I love relaxing and doing nothing. I, I joke with some of my friends, I'm like, you know, COVID was tough for a lot of people, but actually kind of enjoyed it a little bit, getting to stay home. Uh, I shouldn't say that. People think I have bad work ethic, but uh, but yeah, but I do remember my my parents are very much what you want to do, go, go for it. Uh, they had no clue what the process involved. Uh, my parents are separated, but still very much like raised us together. Uh, but my dad was the one I had to knock on the door and say, so this is kind of how much it might be. Uh, you know, it's not always free to fly across to America. Uh, so he, def- he was definitely a big part uh, in that decision-making process. And then my mom and aunt were actually the people that flew me out for the first time, like dropped me off at university, uh, helped me get set up. And that was the first time they'd ever been in America. It's the first time I'd ever been. Uh, but they just they supported us the whole time and I think secretly in the back of their mind uh, thought that I might be home by Christmas given that I'd never stayed away from home and it's been 14 years and still to this day my dad asks us are you still enjoying it do you think you'll ever come back home and I'm like I think I'm a bit of a lifer now I think that trip has sailed uh, so yeah what was the what was that experience when they brought you over and then they were gone and there you are at Nichols State? Yeah. What what was that experience of kind of like trying to get into like completely new country? You're right into soccer. You've got academics and stuff coming at you. What was that whole experience like? What do you remember about your first like start here in the U.S.? Bit bit of a culture shock, uh, especially the you know I got there I was dropped off at campus like the first of August and we started pre-season on like the second or the third uh my mom and aunt actually we part of the reason why I went to the school I went to was had beautiful brand new dorms and given that I was a homebody I'd never really lived with anyone before I was like yes I want a new dorm I want a private room I don't want to be bunk bedding with anyone 
so they kind of helped take care of like moving in and all that stuff while I could just get to work and and get to pre-season and the heat and the humidity was a big you know change for me uh but I think keeping busy and being so busy early on was super important because you didn't have time to to think about it and obviously you I was sad when when we left but once again you just had to you know you didn't have time to think because you had training or you had a meeting or you had um video or whatever it was uh and luckily uh I was roomed with uh, another international player who her mom had left just dropped her off as well and you know she's one of my best friends now and we were just thrown into the same kind of environment together and she's from Canada so we just bonded so there was two of us who were kind of going through the the same thing but uh, I think about that like I would say at least once a year I think about that because obviously being around these players and nationals we have at LSU three who three players who've just come mid-year and one of them has come from Sweden and you know it's it's kind of our priority to make sure they're feeling comfortable and, and all that stuff and I've had a couple of conversations with her and instead we're like it's great that you've come in the spring because of the adjustment period but don't be surprised if you feel like a little homesick because a it's natural and b in the spring we've got a lot more downtime mm-hmm. so I always felt like my homesickness came when I was coming right from home it didn't matter what Christmas or what summer it was but before soccer started and you were just sitting there waiting for your roommates to come back waiting for the first practice class hadn't started that is when it would like hit me the most because I was bored essentially but once you get going with soccer and all that stuff you don't have time to think about it at least I didn't and that was what distracted is and and that's essentially what I was there for anyways so what how does one get recruited from England to America like what was that process for you I mean I don't even know I don't even know where I would start if I yeah. was to go to England. What's that look like? You mentioned like nice dorms, but there had to be, what were some of, how did you connect with the coaches and how did you get your name out there? Well, I was, I'll kind of go back to, to Sarah again and, and you had her on the podcast. It was great. I listened and we, you know, we speak probably every, every night. Uh, we, we followed very similar paths and we're good friends. And there's not a lot of people who can relate to our path and, and what we've done, like, staying over here so uh she I will always credit her with a lot of the reason is how I made it over here in terms of logistically and, and getting connected because she was on it you know she she knew from a very young age she wanted to come over here and and for me it was a bit of a, a bit of a pipe dream something I'd seen on on the tv uh, and she she'd done a great job of being diligent and getting her name out to coaches etc etc and and she she was in contact with the Nickel State coach, uh, and when she eventually committed to Mississippi State, uh, she she'd said to the Nickel State coach, she kind of let them down gently. I think I was a uh, I helped her let them down because she was like, "Yes, it's a no from me, but I have a friend." Uh, so I got really really lucky in that sense. And there was another school who who'd shown some interest in us and uh, they'd come over and and saw us play, but. Nichols for me I was more of a I, I looked at records and all that stuff but I, I knew enough at that point to know it could change every year just based on who you bring in and who leaves but I was I always looked at it and thought out of all the places where would my family most likely come visit and 
New Orleans was 45 minutes away. I still didn't know a whole lot, but I was like, okay, that sounds kind of cool. Uh, it was Division One, and at that time I was very naive in terms of the divisions. Uh, so I was like gung-ho about that. And then obviously when I, when I saw the dorms and all that stuff, I was like, yeah, this is swinging it. But I was very lucky in that sense. And uh, she kind of got me connected and I chatted with the coach for a little bit. And I think the big difference is back then, YouTube was really just like kicking off. We went over there in 2008. It wasn't what it is today. Cameras were not what they are today. Like a camcorder, you couldn't just, you know, put it on YouTube that easy. It was a whole process. Uh, I'd be mortified if I watched any of my recruitment <laughs> video today. Uh, but yeah, it was it was enough and it got us over here. Uh, and then I like to think that maybe I did a little bit better than my video showed. Uh, but it definitely, uh, I've been very lucky and I've had good people in my corner from family and all that stuff. And, you know, friends like Sarah, who always, even to this day, been willing to, to throw my name in the hat and say, hey, I know someone who can do a job if it's if it's not me. I think it's uh, really, really amazing that there's two young ladies that were in Newcastle and have both kind of ventured off, but if, are connected still to this day. Yeah. That's so stinking cool. The other thing I was going to ask, so you get there, what what was the transition, not even that the living and all that, but what was the soccer experience going from like England soccer to here in the states was there a, a time where you had to kind of figure like okay this is a little bit different and like maybe coaching styles and what have you yeah that's actually so I, ha I had quite the transition in my first year so my my idol was David Beckham so wherever he played I played whatever cleats he wore I wore <laughs> so naturally I was a right winger right uh us Brits are not blessed for our athleticism uh, it's mainly for technical abilities. So it wasn't long before I came over here that they were like, yeah, you're not a winger. Let's put you centre-mid. Uh, so that happened pretty quick. Um, and I played centre-midfield my whole four years of college. And now that I played there for four years, I'm a little bit bitter to the fact that I didn't kind of play there more back in England. Uh, but, you, you know, everything's 2020 in hindsight. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. But when I first came over to the US uh the it wasn't I'm, I'll be honest the the level of the team I joined was not what I expected uh so in terms of like being on the team and playing that part wasn't as hard uh but the opposition was because they were what I expected uh so we didn't have a great season my freshman year we were the team that you know everyone loved to play because they knew they were getting a win out of it but what I will say is the people I played with are still like my best friends to this day and still the people that live around Baton Rouge and still the people I stay in contact with. And, you know, I drive, I drove to Houston the other day to go to a one-year-old baby shower. We put, we played on that same team. We're still friends. And to me, that is like one of the biggest things. Uh, but because we weren't successful and I hadn't had much success, that coach ended up getting let go my freshman year uh and then we got a new coach uh called dylan harrison he actually coaches a trinity in texas right now uh he, he was great he was the best thing that ever happened to us made the program better 
Uh, we got better every single year after that. And while the people uh, in my class and the people below didn't get to directly reap the rewards of it, uh, two years after we left, they made it back to the conference tournament and and uh, won their first conference tournament game. So we like to we like to brag a little bit and say that while we didn't have much success as a team, we were there to help recruit all the kids that that did and show them why they needed to join the the not so good team. Uh, but yeah, it was the transition wasn't as hard as I thought, but I had a really interesting, obviously first year having a having a coaching change. What what was it about um, Dylan when he came in? What was it? that you look at and go, there were these couple of things that he brought that we were like, yes, that like you, like you said, it may not happen while I'm playing, but I, mm -hmm. I know we're going in the right direction. I know good success is ahead. What was it about his coaching that you were like, I, I, I dig this dude. Yeah. We went from a very authoritative coach uh, who coached under a premise of essentially fear to someone who, like eradicated that from the get-go and was a normal dude uh wanted to have a laugh connected with all the players like he was the type of guy you would go on the field with before practice and you know play crossball challenge you know uh and it was simple things like that and we you went from having players who never played a minute to players who were like the core and backbone of the defensive line just simple things like that. And I think it's all about how you interact with people. And that was the basis of it all. And, you know, I was I was thinking about this the other day and thinking about, uh, you know, experiences you've had with coaches. And I, I don't remember a lot of, like, the, the coaching moments. I don't remember from the first coach, from the first coach I had at um, Nichols. I don't remember a lot from you know, coaches and in, in club or, or college or, you know, Dylan himself. But you remember like very just specific moments, I think, that you you remember like nuggets and you would throw in a few of those every once in a while. And most of them were just like life nuggets. Mm -hmm. uh, but you remember like the actual memories and the road trips and you just made it so much more enjoyable. And uh, you didn't you never wanted to disappoint them. He was like that parent who you like always just wanted to do well for and you always felt the worst when you didn't just feel bad when you got beat, but you felt the worst when you realized it was like, I wouldn't say upset him, but like when he was disappointed in you and you were like, Oh no, like we've really done it this time. As opposed to just being around someone who's like always mad and you know, you're scared to even like talk. At what point was there a point during your time at Nickel state that you said, I love playing, but there's part of me that would love to be in the same spot and start coaching. Yeah, uh, I think during that time, so 2008, 2011, uh, there wasn't a clear professional pathway. And I don't think I ever, I knew I didn't want to go home. I knew everyone who I was at, at school with at home were kind of doing the, the same type of path. So I was just going to be joining the same, like, everyone fighting for like the same pathway type thing. Uh, so I knew I didn't want to go back home. There wasn't really a clear pathway or sustainable pathway over here for women playing. Uh, I don't remember ever even thinking about going abroad. My, my thing was, yeah, I kind of want like, when I got to a junior, I would say, 
like, and I spent five years in college, so I was a super senior as well. Uh, I was just like, yeah, I want to stay in America. How can I do that? And that's when I learned about, you know, graduate assistance, all that stuff. And at that point, I was also just like, there's nothing else I want to do. I don't think I'm good enough to play professional, or at least I don't think I have the, I don't want to say drive, but the like, the will to keep putting my body through what I've put it through for five years. Uh, I would, I'd love to do what essentially Dylan has done for us. You know, I would say if you'd ask us in my first year, is this what you want to do? But mm, not if this is how it is. Uh, <laughs> but when I saw that, as I started to learn the college system, how many opportunities, how many different pathways you can get into it and you can actually make a living, which at the time you couldn't do in England. And I think it's still very limited for females uh, because, you know, it's heavily male dominated, especially given that male soccer in the Premier League and academies, ex-pros and all that stuff. But that's another conversation. So I was just like, this this has to be the best place to be able to stay involved with with soccer. So how how do you go? So you graduate from Nichols State and then you move on. How how does that process occur? Is it just like word of mouth? Do like you talked about earlier, just how Sarah helped you get to? Were there people that kind of helped you bounce, or did you have to kind of like reach out and and find that next step? Yeah, the biggest thing I've found uh, is it's literally not what you know; it's who you know. And no matter how many times you try to just go along and do it yourself. I think the, the biggest breaks always come because you know someone or it's a friend of a friend. And uh, I got the GA position at Dubuque. Uh, so I applied for all grad assistant jobs that came open. Uh, but the, the direct connection came through uh, one of Dylan's former team play, t- teammates because he also played at Trinity. So one of his former teammates on the men's side was now coaching in the same conference as uh, the University of Dubuque. So. Uh, it's now the Iowa Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, I think. Uh, and yeah, so he knew him and he was like, hey, everybody just said there's a position open. They'll, they'll put your name in. And the funny thing is, so, and this is when I think it's just really crazy how I don't know if fate works out. Or I had uh, two graduate assistant interviews. One was at a, a school in Baltimore. One was in Dubuque, Iowa. And I did not want to go to Dubuque, Iowa. I was like, yeah, I want to go to Baltimore. It's so cool. It's near DC. And I had these two interviews a week apart. Didn't have a lot of money. And I told Dylan, I was like, I can only afford to go to one. And I, he was like, you need to go to one in Dubuque. And I was like, I really want to go to the one in Baltimore. <laughs> uh, and he's like, look, if you pay for the one in Baltimore, I'll, I'll give you my air miles and you could go to the one in Dubuque. So I'm like, okay. So Dylan actually give us these airmails to go on my interview in Dubuque and when I took the two interviews I hated the well not hated I didn't think the interview went as well in Baltimore the one in Dubuque they laid out the red carpet they were so so nice and afterwards I was still like I don't know which one I would pick if the both offered is the job uh, and I was I was working in the the rec center at, at Nichols at the time and I get a phone call from uh, from Coach Burner, who is still at Dubuque, does a great job there. There's one loads of stuff. I think he's a lifer. He's born and raised there, but everyone loves him. Uh, so I get a call from him. He offers us the position and say, can I have 24 hours to, to think about it? And 
I was sitting and no less than 30 minutes later, I get an email from the Baltimore school saying, thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, okay, that is my decision made. And I don't know if I would have made that decision if I'd been offered both, but I'm so glad that it was made for us. I always, I'm a true believer in just like everything works out the way it's meant to. And I think the reason I got turned down was so that I didn't make the wrong decision because going to the University of Dubuque was it was a great experience and I think was was the first time I realized how different it is being a coach to a player and what coaches have to do and also a lot of the stuff players put their coaches through. What what were some of those things that you realized like man as a coach I never really thought about x y and z and what some of those things that players put them through. Well, I thought you just rolled up to work every day, played soccer, told other people how to play soccer, and then sat in the office and had a good time. And I was pretty quick to text Dylan afterwards. I just wrote, I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry for all those times I whinged on the bus about what we were eating, or are we there yet, or turn my nose up at something, just being a pain in the butt. Uh, but yeah, just stuff like how much time goes into planning and preparation and and don't get me wrong, we, we didn't have a big conference in terms of distance, so we were all day trips. But even that alone, just realizing you've got to plan a bus and, you know, people's class schedule, just all the stuff you don't think about as a player. Like, what do you do when equipment comes in and it's the wrong size, you know? And it's the little things like that. And obviously, as you go through your coaching career, you realize there's a lot more to it. But going straight from a player to being a grad assistant, which for me, was a centre full-time assistant position on top of grad school. Uh, it was just like, yeah, this is a different world. I love it, but I feel so bad for all the stuff I whinged about as a player. Um, so you're there, I think you said five years, um, rocking and rolling. At what point do you think, like, maybe I need a change and I'm, let's try somewhere else? So, well, I was at Nichols for five years. I was at Dubuque for two years. Got it. And then I was at Louisiana College for five years. So that's me next stop. Yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, the two, Dubuque, if they had offered me a position to stay, I would have. But the process at Dubuque was they always fill graduate assistant positions, which I think is a great way to A, get people in the coaching world and B, just keep people coming through, right? So it was always going to be a two-year position, but I, I I would have stayed if I ever got the opportunity because it was really good. I, lo I loved living there. So you finished there. And then where do we go next? Louisiana College, head coach, uh, Division Three, Pineville, Louisiana. So the jump goes from graduate assistant to like, I'm the main. Yes. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> yeah. So what, 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 what makes you say, you know what, this, this is the jump I want to take. Once again, I'm going to put the blame on Dylan. Uh, so I was looking for a job. I was leaving. Oh, here's the train coming. I don't know if you can hear it in the distance. Oh, I can hear a little bit of a horn. Yes. It's going to get pretty, pretty loud in a second. I don't know if I should just stop and let it like go past. It gets loud. As soon as he crosses over the tracks, it stops. And every train driver is different. You could have a calm one who just gives it a little toot. Or you can get one of these guys who just lay on the horn until it's crossed through. the train tracks. <laughs> I think he's made it through. 
I said we rock and roll. We're good. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to blame Dylan again. So I was coming at the end of my position in Dubuque, obviously applying for jobs. Uh, not in my wildest dreams did I ever think I was going to get a head coaching job, nor did I necessarily want one. Uh, so the guy who was the head coach uh, at Louisiana College, he was actually an instructor on one of my earliest coaching licenses on the E license. Uh, so when that job came open, Dylan had got it on his emails. He was still at Nichols at the time, uh, sent it to us. He's like, hey, apply for this. And I was like, don't be stupid. And he was like, why not? And I goes, it's a head coaching position. He said, and? And I was like, exactly. It's a head coaching position. Like, I'm, I'm not ready for that. He goes, A, when are you ever ready? And B, what do you have to lose? Uh, so he was like, take a look at, at how they've done and not particularly successful. Uh, small Baptist college in the middle of Louisiana. So you can only imagine some of maybe the challenges they faced in terms of recruiting and funding and all that type of stuff. Uh, so he's like, just apply, reach out to Bruce. That was the, the coach's name and see what happens. So did just that and it kind of snowballed from there. Within two weeks, I was on campus uh, interviewing. And then I want to say like a week later, they offered us the job. And I was like, this is mental. Uh, but I need a job and I would like to stay in the country. At that point, I was, I was on a, so I was on a student visa while I was a grad assistant. And then at that point I got OPT, which is, it's kind of like a one year work visa. Here you go, go out into the working world into America and do like a, some one year to, to fill your boots. And I was really lucky in the sense that the hired is on that premise. And then after a year at Louisiana College, they applied for my work visa. Uh, but yeah, so I took the job. Uh, I just thought, why not? Like Dylan's right. They hadn't been particularly successful. The only way is up. Uh, it's at probably a place where you can really learn your trade or learn what it means to be a head coach without, you know, maybe the what's the word, the risk of doing it in a much larger program on a much larger scale. Not many people get the opportunity to be a head coach at 24. Uh, and it was very daunting, but I was like, why not? I, I don't, I'm typically not the one to turn down a challenge. I will say that. What, what was that like being a head coach and taking it over? Like you talked about the move from player to coach and realizing like, holy moly, I love coaching, but there's a lot more to it. I'm assuming when you take over head coach that your plate becomes even more full. So Dalton and it's Dubuque, I thought, oh my God, like you never realize what it's like to be a coach versus a player. This was like the same thing, but doubled. You never realize what it's like to be a head coach until you have to sit in those shoes. And it's, it's easy to be the person who just goes out to practice and, you know, does the things they're told to do, but be the person who actually plans it and plans a year and has to sit in the meetings and speak to people who are a lot more important than you are. And, you know, it's, uh, if I looked back now and looked at those, all the things I've done, I'm sure there'd be a lot of things that I'd cringe at and be like, oh, you did that. But, you know, you learn more as you go along. But at the same time, I do look back and think like, I think I did an okay job for someone who was 24 
came straight out of grad school and was just essentially learning it as as they went along. Uh, and I would say at that point in my life, I didn't have a whole lot of mentors. And the biggest one was probably probably Dylan at that point. And as the years have gone on, I've definitely learned to connect with a lot more people and, and find ways to to learn and find out what other people do. But yeah, I was just kind of, I don't want to say winging it, but you just took things as it came because you don't know what you don't know. So you can't plan for things that you've never experienced before. But once it's on your doorstep, you've got to, you've got to deal with it and, and deal with it in the best way possible. Was it difficult to deal with players, um, especially because a lot of them are only two, three years younger than you? What was that experience kind of walking in those first few meetings with the team and being like, look, I'm running the show, people. Um, how did you get like buy-in? And, and, and what were some of the things, maybe when you started out that you're like, I know I'm new to this, but here's a couple of things I picked up from Dylan and from, you know, the time in Iowa that I'd like to kind of implement here. Yeah, uh, the biggest the biggest thing was when I first got to campus, there was already a girl on the team who was married and she was married to one of the guys on the men's soccer team. And I'm like, yeah, this is interesting. Like there's a married woman on my team. Uh, and she was younger than us, but I was like, just thought that that was really funny. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think one of the things I really pride myself on is, is my ability to connect with people. Uh, I love meeting new people, speaking to people, I wouldn't say I'm particularly shy. You know, I'm not, some of my friends may disagree with this, but when I first meet people, I'm not always like the loudest or like in your face. But once I get to know you, there is no holds barred. Everything comes off. There's no, you know, mirrors and smoke. Like what you see is what you get. Uh, and I think I took my experience transitioning from my first year at Nichols to the years after that is the experience I wanted to to give the players. And, uh, you know they hadn't had much success and whatever had happened in the past that you know that wasn't my place to speak on but what I've told them is I just want you guys to enjoy soccer again like we don't know how it's going to pan out uh, but what we can control is is you guys enjoying coming out to practice every day and I've been in your shoes I've been in a program that hasn't been particularly successful and I, but I can tell you what I've got out of it at the end of it and that was friends memories I don't look back at the records and be like, oh, I wish I'd done something else. Like my life today might not be the same if I hadn't have gone through that. And I just wanted to make sure that by the time they finished playing, that they had that same type of feeling because you can't always control the scoreboard. And, you know, I feel like that's a lot easier for someone to say if they're, if they're not winning and it might come across as an excuse. But, you know, even, even teams that win all the time, like if you place everything in, in the win and then when the referee gives you a crappy call and you get scored on the last minute of the game like your day is destroyed and you're taking nothing out of it based on your performance or the experience you've had you're just taking it based on the result and that's not always in your hands so really just wanted them to leave Louisiana College with a degree and a good experience because those are the two things that I had at Nichols that really have impacted the rest of, of my life. So what you do the head coaching thing um, and enjoy that, then, then where do you go next? Where's the next step in this journey of yours? Yeah. So uh, I was always a little bit restricted due to immigration and how state, like, you know, having to get visas and all that stuff. And 
my work visa at Louisiana College was three years. Uh, and after that, you can apply for a new visa or you can apply for a green card. Uh, so I kind of went that route and I'd built such good relationships and, and love the people I worked with that I've got enough bravery to be like, so, hey, this is the situation. I would really like you to help us apply for a green card. And it was quite the process. And once again, I've been very fortunate that all of that stuff has worked out. I've heard many coaches who have not been able to do that. Uh, so I went through that process and by the time that it finished I'd been at Louisiana College for four years uh, and the fact that I had a green card and was not limited I was like I've really got to start thinking about my future and where I want to take it like am I okay with really not making much progress where I'm at but at the same time I'm not going to be someone who gets it and goes hey got it see you uh, so I stayed for another season uh, and then after that, because I was not restricted in terms of like my working status in the United States, that's when I really started to explore the options. And by this point, I'd, I don't say knew enough people because I don't think you never know enough people, but had a few more people in my coaching sphere, I guess, that, that knew of jobs opening, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then that's when a, an assistant position at Idaho State came open. It was right before COVID kicked off, so around December time, that's when the position came open, and uh, around January, February was when I actually got to go up there and, and interview for it, and, you know, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a lot of ties, like, I don't have any kids, I don't have a family, so this is really the time where I can just make decisions based on me, so I knew I wanted to, to get back to the Division One level, I'd played there. Uh, but I wanted to see what it would be like to coach there because at that point I was like, I, I couldn't have told someone, hey, this is where I want to coach. This is the level I want to coach at. This is the role I want to be in. And I was like, I feel like I've got to experience all those roles to be able to have a more defined path of where I want my career to go. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to check out the Division One level at Idaho. I'd never been to Idaho, uh, but why not? What was, what was the, what's soccer like up in Idaho? Cause I think that's Northern. So it's cold, maybe some, mm -hmm. like you've gone from Louisiana, which you were saying like the transition was heat and dealing with all of that to now a very, like a different kind of environment. What was that like? Yeah. Well, I always joke with, with my friends that I go from Louisiana to Iowa, Louisiana, Idaho, back in Louisiana so I'm probably got to go to like Illinois probably I don't know it begins with the letter I uh, but Iowa was the coldest place I've ever been so that's what I expected in Idaho uh, but when I got there it was height of COVID so I had a very unique year there because of COVID I didn't get to go out and recruit it was all done virtually uh, and then they also said it was like the mildest winter they'd had in a long time and I'm like Idaho's great it's so warm for winter uh, but it's a very different setup. It's it's beautiful. The mountains are great. You've got, you know, lakes, all that stuff. So there's a lot of activities to do, and it's a very outdoorsy place. Uh, and then we did have a bit of a we had a season. Uh, we did have it end up having a season after my first semester there, and we got to go to like we played uh, the Big Sky Conference has like Northern Arizona in it, uh, Weber who's in in Utah uh who else northern colorado they actually came to us but yeah we we had a 
smaller schedule where the they split the conference in half and you only went to the closest schools but uh the west i didn't realize this until i'd been out there and i was explaining this to to my mom the other day when we were talking about uh traveling in america i was like you don't realize how big the west side of the country is even on a like a map louisiana is all like texas runs like pretty central but the west side of it is like so much bigger than the east side and i was like you can't just you know drive around over there in in a second like if you're in idaho it takes you quite a while to get to california if you're in louisiana you can get to florida in a day mm-hmm. uh, so that was the biggest part the travel was quite quite intense so lots of different little coaching experiences along the way and then now director of operations what draws you back to to louisiana and it's lsu is division one sec like what's the is that some of the draws to that and what was it like kind of giving up a little bit of that soccer coaching as you said earlier you pretty mm-hmm. much do everything but the coaching and recruiting so what was that like to one why come back to louisiana and then two what's it been like kind of taking a step back from the coaching side of things yeah uh, a big part of it was the staff uh so sean the current head coach at lsu got the job here right before i went to idaho state and we had a previous connection just through coaching like being on the road recruiting seeing each other uh so we knew each other through that so when she got the job in louisiana she'd spent pretty much her whole life in america in colorado i was kind of in at ear and i was like hey like do you ever need some help like kind of joking but not joking uh and it just never like panned out and i ended up taking the opportunity at idaho state uh well their director the director of ops position came open here and it's i feel like it was just one of those things where it's like you never know when this is going to come back around again uh and i actually i just I, i was i came home from work today and i was just listening to an interview with kim mulkey when she first got back to louisiana she did like a 30 minute interview with the news and she said you know everything just lined up the time in her life lined up to come back to louisiana and louisiana was home and it was the only job in the world that she would have left Baylor for and it just it happened and for me if LSU ever came calling and it was the right people like I would never have like I just couldn't have said no I'm not gonna look into this uh Sean is from Wales uh one of the other coaches is from Middlesbrough we've got two American coaches on staff who who had had previous connections with uh didn't know them super well but knew of them and i just had a really good vibe like i i got along and and still do with each of them like so well uh to this day and i would say it's the first time that i've and this is no disrespect to anyone else i've ever worked with but i think it's really hard and very rare in life to say that you were every single person you work with that you just like you and you enjoy you, there's always typically what one or two people that you like Uh, not really my type of person wherever you work whether it's you know someone who is like just random working in the cafeteria or like someone that you actually work with like but at LSU it's the first time that I've just worked with people and be like my god like I love to go to work every day 
because of the people I want to get a good laugh and you know we bounce off each other and uh, get really good vibes and actually people who I would call like friends and that's what's like really important to us you know I think sometimes they say you should never work with your friends but I think if you can work with people who become your friends or end up being good friends I think it just makes the world of of difference and it's so rare to find I don't know a lot of people who have that in their life and I'm, I feel like I'm really lucky to have that uh, so yeah I, I got the opportunity to interview and really just prodded away I was I don't think by any means and I'm not even being uh, modest I don't think I was the top candidate by any means uh, but I persevered because I was like I cannot let this opportunity like slip through like Louisiana is essentially home to me uh, and yeah so I'm gonna go back again she's gonna be name dropped 50 times but like Sarah is kind of like the example of like having that unconventional path and she talked about it at the convention this year and actually did a great job I've already told her but her and Becky presented at the circuit convention did a great job uh, but that conventional path of there's not one route to get to where you want to go uh, and you can still be an influence even without the title of assistant coach or head coach and I just knew what I needed in my life was to learn from, learn at the highest level. Like, this is it. Like, at some point, if you want to see what it's like, you've got to get to the highest level. How are you going to get your foot in the door? And if that is being a director of ops, if that's being a manager, whatever it is, like, take that opportunity uh, and, and just doing it. And I feel like relinquishing the, the coaching side is a small sacrifice to make in order to to get in at this level and for me coaching's coaching if, if I want to coach I can go to the local club and pick up some sessions and, and coach club and that is something that I've been you know that's something that is that's on the horizon in terms to keep me to keep everything ticking over uh and then with time like just you know I'm I'm very happy in in this role right now and it's it's I think at some point like few years down the line I'll have to reevaluate and be like you know how do I feel is it time to get back into coaching is this something actually I've enjoyed more than I thought I would uh, but right now I think the sacrifice I made to go to be in this role it brings us so much more than than any of the other coaching positions I've, I've ever had. The one thing too does the kind of the cohesiveness of the staff do you think that has an effect, a positive effect on the on the players themselves as well? The fact that you all like going to work and I love being there and I love working with the people that I'm working with and that kind of goes through the staff. Does that permeate into the locker room and into the girls and into the players and kind of like that's a whole holistic type of thing? Yeah, for sure. And I think with any staff, it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to have your good days and you're going to have your bad days when you know, someone thinks one thing and another person thinks the other, but if everyone is on the same page and has the same, let's say core beliefs, but are all working towards the same thing, you can you can have some success. And yeah, I think the players, sometimes I think players are like dogs that can read feelings. Uh, <laughs> you know, a dog knows when you're sad, a dog knows when you're happy. Like players, players can see that. Players can see when, when stats aren't working well together, when they are working well together. Uh, but I think the, the, the read people's feelings. So if you're going to work every day and you're happy to be at work, that feeds into the players. If you're going to work every day and you're not happy, 
they read that as well and they can tell that they're not stupid uh so i think yeah it does it does go into the players it does help with the cohesiveness of the team and uh, everything because i will say with with our staff it's it, everyone's pretty new to this level uh in the coaching sense so there's always going to be growing pains but i think the best thing is like everyone just wants to be as successful as possible and is willing to do whatever it takes in order to to make that happen you talked about louisiana's kind of like home now what is is there part of you that has this kind of urge to maybe go back to England and start coaching or doing some stuff over there? Or you kind of talked about earlier that there's very similar kind of pathways, but now with like the professional league for the women over there and some other opportunities, um, is there, is there any part of you that's like, you know what, I'd kind of like to go back or is like, like you said, is Louisiana and the U S kind of like, I think I'm good. I don't know. I am the type of person, I try not to get too far ahead of myself. I like to, I've, I've never really been one to be like set like an ultimate goal. You know, my ultimate goal and if I reach it is to do this by the time I die. The only time I've ever said that is meet David Beckham. That is my ultimate goal. But in terms of career, I feel like I've always been pretty flexible and it, it's changed you know like when you first come out of college you're like hey I want to be a division one head coach blah 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 and then you're like well like head coaching I, I mentioned this I've mentioned this to a few people I don't know if I'll ever go back to head coaching uh I feel like my personality fits the assistant coach path and I like people telling us hey this is what I want from you as opposed to me saying this is what I need from you I don't this just kind of who I am uh but in terms of going back to England, I would love to see the women's game. You know, it's it's done great so far and it, it's it's looking like it is going to be sustainable. That would be a great opportunity if I ever got the chance to go and, and coach back home and be in front of my family and friends. Uh, but yeah, I, like if I think of that now, I, I wonder, am I ever going to be good enough to get to that level? Like my first thought right now is hoping that I can keep the the coaching tools in check enough so that if a coaching gig does come calling one day that I would be ready for it because my worst fear would be to go back into something and fail essentially uh so maybe one day it's not something that is a big burning desire for us to go back home and do it if it ever comes up then great but it would also just be so it would never be I don't think it would ever be something where I would put I would permanently lay my roots down there it would just be like I would be there for a job and my family kind of just happened to be there mm-hmm. uh in Louisiana for me I don't want I always say this I'm like oh I hope people don't think that I could only work in Louisiana because I loved it when I was in was in Iowa and Idaho was a COVID year so I feel like I didn't really get to fully experience it and you know the pull of LSU kind of makes it a bit biased you don't say no to that mm-hmm. uh but Louisiana is just it's it's an area where I have a lot of friends and when you're away from home and away from your actual family like that comes essentially your second family that's who you spend Thanksgiving with that's where you go on spring break like you go see those people uh so it's just the south is is an area where there's a lot of people that I know but I I love to travel I love seeing new places and uh as I said earlier I don't have any ties so I'm I've always been open with the places I've I've lived. I want to touch on the Beckham 
thing that you have <laughs> have you had the opportunity to like see him play have you have you had any run-ins with him like where you've got to meet him at all or yeah uh so england played at st james's park uh what yeah at maybe 2006 ish that a qualifier there or friendly so he played there took a picture of him waited outside the stadium after the game and he was the only player who drove himself and didn't get on the team bus uh so i was a little devastated about that uh, <laughs> and then actually won uh won a competition one year through the bbc radio where he was doing a christmas interview he'd just gone to the usa so this would have been like or six or seven or probably all seven uh and you had to write in and, and ask a question and if the picture you'd have a chance to ask him it uh and I'll never forget it. I was in college at the time. So there was me and Sarah and other friends. And I tell them that I've won this. And everyone's like, no, no one believes us. Sarah's the only one that believes us. So we we, we get a time. They pre-recorded it. So it was being short. It was on Christmas Eve on BBC Radio 2, I think. Uh, but they recorded it like two weeks before Christmas or something. So we drive home. She drives us back home. We didn't have iPhones then. I think I had a flip phone uh, or like a Sony Ericsson or something. So she had her phone out. I had my phone on speakerphone. She recorded the whole conversation. And it was essentially like my question to him was like, you've just moved to the USA. Uh, what is it you like about it? Because, you know, my plans are to come over there and play college soccer. Uh, and I still have the recording somewhere on my computer. But yeah, it was, uh, she, she, we were just like, oh my God, like lip, like mouthing to each other. And she's like recording it. And it's like the worst recording ever because of just the quality of the phones back then. Mm-hmm. And like on the phone and David Beckham, no, no big deal. But that that's the so, closest I've got. That's so cool. Well, hopefully one day you'll get to have that, like a picture yeah. with you next to him uh, and, and chat it up. Uh this has been such an, this has been awesome. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, this chat. If people want to like connect with you and follow along and, and maybe they're starting out on their kind of path of so- soccer coaching and all that type of stuff, or maybe they're overseas and they're thinking about coming to the U.S., uh, what's an, an, a good way to connect and follow your, your journey? Yeah, uh, so I think the thing these days, especially for coaches, is Twitter. Uh, I got a bit of flack because I changed my Twitter name. I, I used to be the real coach Sam. I was just having a bit of a laugh, but it got changed to the real ops Sam on Twitter. Uh, and then obviously, if you go on the LSU website and look on the the soccer staff and directive ops, I have a I have an email address there, and feel free to email anytime. Or yeah, log into Twitter and direct messages. And I think the Instagram account is like public. Uh, so feel free to like hop on there and messages and that's just my name Sam Etherington uh, but yeah anyone who has any questions uh, hopefully I can answer them and help anyone get on their way and uh, I've been very fortunate and whether it's about coaching or you know being a director of so even I get a lot of questions about immigration through friends of friends like how did you get this done it's not easy but I can hopefully answer any questions or share my my path with people and tell them how I still managed to to be in the USA and not be deported yet. Uh, 
but yeah, any any way I can help, Twitter, Instagram, email, um, I'm there. This has been so good. I'm going to go ahead and shut this thing down. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Sam Etherington, and I'm out. Peace. The beanie of choice for Coach's Corner Chats episode today was from H&M. Check them out at HM dot com.